So, Marco, Jake, and Cassie uh, all go to this rehab center that Marco and Axe found. Um, Question. Sorry to yes. interrupt straight away. Hmm. Do we think Jake chose these two people, A, because they're the best at talking to strangers, or B, because they're the least likely to argue with him? Uh, I wouldn't say they're the when, least likely to argue with him. Cassie, he's not listening to anymore because she has because that logic from before. But what I mean is like he's not giving her the opportunity to push back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. That uh, that thought just hit me, and I was sad about it. Mm-hmm. Um, they also like they leave behind Axe and Tobias and Rachel. Uh, Axe and Tobias, who would be well, Axe, obviously. Tobias would be terrible with is terrible at interacting with other people. Uh and Rachel, who is a loose cannon. Um We were denied Rachel and Colette meeting. We do <laughs> we not get to see it on screen interaction. And for that we are poorer individuals. This is true. This is true. Um <laughs> the the plan that Jake comes up with in order to get to the rehab center is needlessly complicated and not great. Um, it's like, yeah, we're going to fly most of the way there and then become humans and then ride our bicycle, ri- steal some bikes and then ride them to the rehab center. Because we're hiding in plain sight and we can't just... uh fly directly there in case we're being watched and it's like uh, okay and both marco and cassie are like this is a terrible idea why are we doing this and jake is like hey you agreed to the plan you told me i'm the leader so we're doing it my way end of story and marco and cassie are just like okay then um but there's definitely this sense of like Jake or Marco and Cassie trying to manage Jake and like looking at each other to kind of confirm that like, yeah, Jake is acting really weird and is not on top of his game and we need to uh, corral him. Um, uh, this book has some excellent uh, Marco, Cassie, Jake feel if that is your jam. Yeah, yeah it does. Um. Uh, there's like a weird chase scene because of course they get spotted. Um they end up in a costume shop um that the controllers don't follow them into for some reason. Um and they do go th- roach first, so perhaps yeah. they don't know that's the specific place Maybe. they've got to. Um but they end up in this costume shop, they dress in costumes um because the there's another group in this costume shop that is apparently getting costumes in order to go perform at the rehab center they're going to um uh, coincidences sure um so marco jake and cassie all don costumes cassie is in a racist romani costume uh marco is in a magician's costume which is hilarious um and jake is dressed like a beatnik um 
Uh, and they kind of just fall into the group that's going to the rehab center and go with them to the rehab center. And then once they're there, they get in by being like, yeah, we're here to entertain the kids. It works. Uh, the first floor they go to is filled with, like, little kids who uh, are all extremely excited to see these entertainers. Uh, and the Animorphs are just the like, relief yeah. I, the relief I felt when they moved away from that floor. I <laughs> yes. cannot. Same. I was legit terrified that we had crossed the biggest line and they were going to get some seven and eight year olds involved. Mm. The fear was real. <laughs> uh, so they leave the seven and eight year olds recognizing that they're maybe not the best choice for soldiers um, and kind of sneak around to find an older group of kids Marco reveals that he just has a pigeon yeah <laughs> I mean he is got a, he has got the right costume on for it for yeah. like hiding a bird but like the instincts of my son like dealing with this costume is like I should grab a pigeon <laughs> he just picks a pigeon up from the sidewalk that can't fly super good so it was easy to catch like he has reasoning for it. it's not just it would be really good to sell this bit it's oh and yeah. this gets expanded on a bit like well we're gonna need to give them a morph mm -hmm. if any of them agree and they need something uh, inconspicuous yeah so solid choice but the visual of him just going hey I grabbed a pigeon <laughs> How did he get it to stay quiet? Well, you just make it, you put its wing over its head and it goes to sleep. That's how birds work. <laughs> I say things like this to make Danielle make noises like that, to be clear. Um, I know a lot of birds will get sleepy if you. Yeah, yeah. If, There's if a it's... reason why magicians use doves, and doves are just well bred pigeons. Mm -hmm. Because in the dark, they just go very docile. Is my mm -hmm. understanding? They'll just ch same as rabbits. You put them in a dark, comfy spot, and they're like, "I'm not in danger." Shit, I'll just sit here, man. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Much like me, if I feel safe and comfortable, I'll be like, okay. <laughs> this is happening. Yeah. yeah, I'll chill here. Um. So they f find out that there's some older kids on the fifth floor, um, and. So they go into the elevator and Jake has a moment of a like hesitation. Uh maybe it's Crisis a setup. Himself. Yeah. And and Cassie's like uh takes Jake's hand and is like, You're right, it could be a trap. We've walked into them before. Let's try to deal with this and try not to choke, okay? Are you patronizing me? He asked unbelievingly. Yeah, Jake, I am. Marco pushed the button against again and smiled bleakly. Take it from me, Jake Meister. You get used to it after a while. <laughs> Just a scathing insight into the group oh. dynamic there. <laughs> sure is. Yep. And like Marco being fully aware that he is being patronized all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so they get to the fifth floor and it's an entirely different vibe than the floor with the seven and eight year olds. Um, the mood's pretty down, uh, but the kids are their age, so, like, in that 13 to 16 age range. 
Um, the Animorphs try to be like bubbly and try to like do do the entertainment act thing, and everybody is just like, "The fuck are you?" and go away. Um, uh, a couple of people talk to them, notably uh, two girls who are playing cards uh, and a boy next to them who uh, is like observing. Um, and they roast the Animorphs mm -hmm. so well. <laughs> um, like, Cassie's like, did I say something wrong? No, he's just afraid you guys are going to sing. Marco, like, I left my harmonica at home, but I can do magic tricks, sort of. I've seen David Copperfield in New York, Siegfried and Roy in Las Vegas, and Penn and Teller in Los Angeles. You really think I want to see your act? Come on. <laughs> he may not be a pro, but everybody deserves a shot. Yeah, and some people deserve to be shot. <laughs> I love how funny these kids are. Mm-hmm. Like, this tracks uh, with a lot of folks I know um, who are uh, chronically disabled. like, humor being the great defense mechanism that mm -hmm. it is. Um, and if you make the joke, people can't make the joke about you. Mm -hmm. um, it's just got that sort of vibe to it. Yep. Um, uh. There is a achingly accurate moment where the boy, the boy who is sitting next to these two girls, uh, observing, um, he he is the one Jade mentioned earlier with cere cerebral palsy, um, with a speech impediment. And there's a moment where he, uh, like is trying to say something and essentially struggling a lot with saying the word. Um, and Marco and Jake and Cassie are both are all just kind of like standing there um awkwardly because they don't know what to do in this situation and they don't know how to interact with people um because they think they need to interact with them like they're different than other people yeah um, and I love that like they're they're kind of just like standing there like what were we supposed to do now wait for the boy to finish leave pretend we didn't realize he was trying to say something I looked to the blonde girl for help she lifted her eyebrows okay it was clear she expected us to finish what we had started and I like that moment of them just like so what are you what are you gonna do huh how, how are you gonna act here you've intruded on our space there is very much this vibe of this is their home turf. The animals mm -hmm. are painted as the intruders here. Mm -hmm. um, and I, there's this sort of very much feel uh, of this closing of the ranks. Like, mm -hmm. this is a protective age. Just like, okay, bitch, what are you doing? Yep. Show me what you got. Show me your shitty magic trick. Mm -hmm. They're very much establishing their own terms. And they're mm -hmm. not um, acquiescing or making things easy for the Animorphs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which feels very good, frankly, to read. Just mm -hmm. sort of like, these kids don't know them anything. Mm -hmm. They probably have to deal with so much shit on the daily. Yep. <laughs> like, no. Yeah, and we see what they deal with on the daily. 
in, mm-hmm. in this chapter. And I also, uh, we get some of that pity that I was talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because Cassie specifically describes watching this as painful. Mm-hmm. And that's a common thing that a lot of people have to deal with and unpack when they see people who use different ways of communication or who have mm-hmm. speech impediments uh, is like describing having to unpack that discomfort mm-hmm. uh, because it's so ingrained in what we're taught and what we grew up with, even if you are disabled uh, because Sometimes you just, like, internalize that societal expectation. Um, But once you, you know, are used to it, uh, and when you come into this space very able-bodied or very uh, new to it, like, you have to sit with that and confront it. Mm -hmm. And that I love that this scene... uh, uh, I believe it's Colette who's mm-hmm. looking at them mm-hmm. and just being like, yeah, you you gotta. Like, he's talking to you and this is his way of talking, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is something here I just, that makes me happy, I guess, about the way this is written, is a lot of the time when we talk about masking, uh, it's in the neurodivergent sense about, like, um, behaving a certain way um, to go out. and I feel like that onus is put on uh, disabled people as well it is similar, just like, can you be less obvious about your disability in public, you're mm-hmm. making other people feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. and how it becomes internalised Yeah, and in the same way that um, when you are with people you feel safer and like the the mask you don't have to do this performative wellness like if you are suffering from chronic pain you can just let that pain show you don't need mm-hmm. to make nice for the delicate sensibilities of the able-bodied just mm-hmm. like yeah i'm gonna fucking change this port on my diabetes one or whatever why do i care if you're comfortable mm-hmm. and these kids owning that what they are and who they are like you were saying emily like colette being like yeah bitch you wait for him yeah mm-hmm. and um there are a couple of moments um as this goes on where again it's that sort of pity thing that unlike the moment we mentioned earlier with cassie and that mind it's literally just sort of like the physicality in the interaction. At one point, Cassie kneels down or drops down to her and just talk to somebody in a wheelchair and I'm there just like, mm, no. Mm-hmm. no. I got it. You may not know. If you've never interacted with uh, somebody who is a wheelchair user, maybe you don't know the best way to go about it. I know that I have my own discomforts and I've run against my own pre- internal prejudices. We all do. We live in an ableist society, yada, yada, yada. You've heard all this before. Um, and I get, this is the part of the book that feels pretty good to me to read, and I am not even um, disabled in the way these children are. Mm-hmm. Um, these all feel like very real people, mm-hmm. even if one of them is named after an unfortunate 
portrayal mm-hmm. in a different piece of media. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that these characters that we meet here, um, Colette and Kelly and James, and I'm going to say his name, they change it in later books, uh, but Timmy, um, and we also meet Pedro, mm-hmm. although he does not become one of the auxiliaries. Um, they all feel very realized. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they all do have different uh, disabilities, reasons for them being in this, like, I assume it's like, I assume it's like an assisted living facility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it, it's described as a rehab center, but, like, these kids live here. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but, yeah. For all the, the missteps in this book, and there are a lot of them, and there are some doozies, when we talk about representation and how the onus shouldn't be on a single individual, this book has done the right thing. We get this real mix of mm-hmm. um, disabled people, mm-hmm. and that is cool to see. And they all have very different personalities and mm-hmm. relationships to their disabilities as well. Mm-hmm. It isn't like one experience is being used as a universal. And I feel like this is maybe where some research did go in or the author spoke to um, disabled kids because mm-hmm. these feel like very real people, as they should do. Right. So, um, From down the hall, they overhear an argument that another boy is having with a nurse. Um, he is basically advocating for his roommate and friend, Pedro, um, who has not gotten his pain meds yet, although he's due for them and he's in pain. Um, and the nurse is like, how do you know he's in pain? Because Pedro is, um, appears to be completely paralyzed. Uh, and, uh, can't really advocate for himself, or at least nobody is paying enough attention to him to allow him to advocate for himself. And so James is kind of advocating for him. Um, and this nurse is like, look, I'm sorry this kid had to wait, but we can't let you give him his medication. Uh, and James, like, snapping back, like, I've been here longer than you have. I've been here longer than anybody. You would think that gives me some rights. And then nurse kind of, like, hurries away to go get this medication, recognizing that James, you know, is, has some truth to what he's saying. Uh, and this is the point where uh, James kind of turns and sees the Animorphs watching him. Uh, and he says, well, who's the show here? Us or you? Um you know, to, to chastise them for hovering and, like, treating this entire thing like some kind of show. Um, Marco uh, tries to, like, bridge the gap, you know, makes a joke, doesn't really work. James blows them off uh, and goes into the room. Uh, the Animorphs just continue to follow him even though that was clearly a dismissal. Uh, and they watch him like communicate with Pedro. 
um, using like blink for yes, don't blink for no kind of the thing. Um, like helping him choose music to listen to, um, talking to him. Um, and the animorphs kind of like back away and they're like, uh, these people hate us. How are we going to get through to them and like actually talk to them? Um, and one of the girls that was playing cards earlier, the one who was slightly less aggressive towards them, um, comes up to them and introduces herself as Colette. Uh, and Cassie is like, hey, we came to entertain, but we're definitely doing something wrong. Um, and Marco's like, yeah, the little kids were really excited to see us. Why, why is everybody here so angry? Uh, and Colette says, uh, let me tell you something. There is no anger or bitterness in her voice. A disabled kid is like the kitten who becomes a cat. You're a kitten. Everybody wants to pet you and play with you. You get a little older. You're just a nuisance. Some of the people here haven't been home in years. She pointed back towards James' room. About all he has to look forward to is a nursing home when he's too old for this place. And he's been here since he was a little kid. He got hit by a drunk driver when he was four. His mother brought him in to be operated on and never came back to get him. And Marco's just like, okay, he can have all the attitude he wants. <laughs> like, that's fair. Uh, they watch as James, like, leaves his room and goes to another area that is, like, kind of set off from the rest of this place and that he can go to be alone. And Cassie's like, can we talk to him? And Colette's like, you can try. Um, he's not too friendly, but he's cool. And he is kind of the leader around here. Um, even the nurses and doctors listen to what he has to say. Um, like, he's gone to bat for me a couple times. He goes to bat for everybody here. Uh, and Colette, you know... Marco's like, why aren't you giving us the cold shoulder? And Colette's like, well, this is kind of temporary for me. I had a skiing accident. You know, I'm really big into these, like, extreme sports kind of things. Um, and she kind of, like, flirts with Marco a little bit. It's pretty cute. Um, and Colette basically leaves them to go back to her card game. Um, I like that we we get the detail that the girl she's playing with Kelly mm -hmm. um, um, doesn't always have the strength to play. Mm -hmm. um, so when she does, she wants to play a lot, which yeah. I just thought was a lovely little acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, we find out Kelly has cystic fibrosis. Yes, um, so it tracks like the, when you, when you can't do anything, you can't do fuck all. Mm -hmm. um, but also that notion of just like when you've got the spoons you use them mm -hmm. uh, and as Colette walks away Jake's like if she's only recently injured she could be a controller and Marco's like maybe but she's too cute did you see that she winked at me and then Jake says don't get attached life is probably going to be a lot shorter than you thought it would be <laughs> Holy fuck, Jake. Like, how often does a girl flirt with Marco, Jake? Let him have this. Like, wow. <laughs> Brutal, man. 
<laughs> and Jake Jake has the decency to look a little embarrassed for saying it. And Marco's just like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it gets to us all. Uh, and they go and find James. They tell James everything. Uh, and at first, James just thinks this is all a terrible prank. Like, okay, you had your fun. Go back and tell your school friends that you got one over on the disabled kids. Cool. Great. Yeah. And at first, uh, Jake is like, you know what? I don't need this. I'm telling you the truth. You can believe me or not. It's your funeral. Uh, which is the wrong thing to say because James gets very angry and just starts to leave because he doesn't have to deal with this shit. James starts to leave. Jake grabs him like, wait. <clears throat> and uh, D James is like, don't touch me. I may be in a chair, but I can kick your butt if I have to. Jake reaches for James again and James <laughs> knocks him on his ass. It's so good. It's so Beautiful. good. Um, and Jake, Jake is like, all right, you know what? Demonstration time. Uh, and he morphs Tiger. Uh, and James uh, at first is like, all right, you know, calm down, man. Whatever hormone imbalance you've got going on, uh, you don't need to get angry. We're, we're cool. <laughs> Um, I'll get a doctor, don't worry. And, uh, and then Jake, like, finishes morphing, and he's a literal, actual tiger. Um, and, uh, James is like, I think I took the wrong medication. I'm seeing things. Actually, why don't you guys go get a doctor for me? Uh, Colette walks in, um, and is like, whoa, that's an actual tiger. That's so cool. And I James is like... <laughs> Colette rolls in. Colette is also in the world. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Colette rolls in. Um, and James is like, you, you can see the tiger too. I'm not hallucinating this. Um, and so the, the, the animals are just like, all right, let's, let's go through this one more time. And so they tell Colette everything. And with both of them there, they seem to take it pretty well. Um, they take it relatively in stride. Colette is immediately on board um, with this idea of morphing. Um, and then James is like, no, 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 you got to tell her the bad shit, too. And so Jake tells her all about the, the Yerks and all this other sort of thing. And... Colette, uh, she's like, oh, is this dangerous? And Marco's like, yes. Um, personally, I hate the danger part, but you're into the whole reckless behavior thing, right? Extreme sports. And Colette just kind of like stops talking. James is like, why, why are you talking to us? And Cassie's like, oh, cause the Yerks are jerks. They don't want your host bodies. Um, and James is like, are you saying we're useless? And Jake's like, no, not to us. That's why we're here. Um, and James asks what the Animorphs want from him. And they tell him that they want him to help them recruit people. 
Like, you seem to be the leader. You're going to know who are the most trustworthy. And other kids will listen to you. Um, so we want you to uh, pick a few of your friends and recruit them for us. Um, and James is like, no. It's one thing for me to volunteer myself. I'm not going to put others in danger or or ask others to put their lives on the line for a cause um, that may or may not be real. Uh, I don't want the responsibility of somebody getting hurt or dying because of me. You may think our lives don't mean much to us because they don't mean much to other people, but we do value our lives and one another. Um, and James, like, starts to leave, uh, and he's like, don't worry about me or Colette talking, because we won't, um, and, like, I'm not gonna talk to anybody else about this. We're not doing this. And Cassie, fucking, look, I said, you started out angry, you thought we were playing with your head, dissing you because you're in a wheelchair, but don't you see? That's exactly what you're doing to the others, to your friends. Acting like they're babies. Or dumb. Like they're not capable of giving informed consent. Look, James. And she kneels by the side of his wheelchair. I know this whole story about the Yerks is hard to believe, but you have to believe. Your friends' lives are already at stake. You need to have some means of protecting yourselves if the Yerks get any stronger. Look, they might not want to infest you, but they will want to kill you. And Cassie... Although she's saying all of these things, is internally rebelling at this idea that she is helping to move this plan along. This plan that she doesn't really agree with at all. Um, but talking to James, she's kind of realized that these kids aren't helpless. Like she might have initially thought. Um, and so... She just, like, doubles down, like, you know what? You don't really have a choice here. This is duty time. You've been tapped, so step up to the plate. Whatever. Fact is, we need you. Your friends need you. And James just, like, kind of takes this, and he's like, all right, I have two conditions. One, no matter what happens, Pedro requires a morph, a good one. He's been in that bed for his entire life. Fourteen years flat on his back. Even if I don't make it out alive, I want Pedro to have at least two hours of freedom. Uh... And the other uh, condition is that James picks his own team, um, and he's the one responsible for them. And Jake agrees to both of these. Uh, and so James assembles uh, Timmy and Kelly, along with Colette. Um, they tell Timmy and Kelly everything. They show them about the morphing, uh, and they tell everybody, like, look, you're gonna, no matter what happens on any mission, you're gonna have to be able to come back here and pretend like nothing is happening, like you've been here the whole time. Um, we need people who can be undercover. Um, we also aren't sure who, if any of you, will be healed by the process. Um, and Timmy is the one who is like, if I can do some good, then 
I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Um, we learned that Colette was lying about her injury being temporary. Um, and she's uh, been paraplegic since birth. Um, There's this great detail where, like, all of her friends are the we we done knew like mm -hmm. we we knew yeah you're great but like we knew <laughs> it's on your chart <laughs> yeah but there's also like no judgment from mm -hmm. them for lying either mm -hmm. not from the rehab center kids and not from the animorphs either mm -hmm. there's sort of like the question of why but no judgment which I do appreciate mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, she is like, do you still want me on the team, even though I lied? And Jake starts to answer, then looks at James, and James nods, and Jake says, yes, you'll still be on the team. Um, and I do like that we get that instance of Jake sticking to the deal he made about like this is in effect this is james team and while they ultimately would answer to jake like james is the one responsible for these people and who trusts these people and gets to decide who is and is not on his team uh and so they give them the power and allow them to morph pigeons we should talk about james as mm -hmm. a character now, mm -hmm. um, as he's so like book one, Jake and Cassie, and to but even a little bit, he's so much like early on as but with the added life experience of already having to be an advocate for himself and for other people, mm -hmm. and he's just such a cool character. He takes no shit from anybody. Fucking puts people on their ass. And we know Jake's not a big guy. Uh, mm -hmm. Jake's not a small guy. So, but this is... His priorities are so immediate. And so mm -hmm. is his compassion. Mm -hmm. um, he doesn't call Cassie out for blatantly manipulating him like I would. <laughs> oh, he also doesn't immediately... I would have... Uh... When Marco grabs his chair. Yeah. Oh, that moment. I, I, I was saying to Emily before we started, I think I'm hanging out with the right people because the instant that happened, I was like, no, don't, you don't do that. You I do would, not get to do that. I would have immediately lost, like, lost it. So mm -hmm. James has probably had that happen many times. Like, I can, mm -hmm. I can imagine because like we like we talked about that mobility device is a part of your body mm. so that is the same as touching someone um so like just the the thought of like realizing that this kid has had that same experience many many times Mm -hmm. and realizing that in that moment that's one of those things that gets overlooked but like just that shock and that jarring like ugh but yeah I agree he's he's very and I mean like of course the name obviously is meant to mm -hmm. immediately make you think of it mm -hmm. with the parallels to early Jake mm 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's also something very gratifying the way the kids talk to James, like about bit what him being a leader of his team was like, and he and that clear like this is your responsibility. Uh, mm-hmm. like Jake being like, "Hey, I wish I'd known this aspect from the start. I'm gonna give you the advantage I didn't have." Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a touch of, "I am not responsible for you. I have mm-hmm. quite enough on my yes. plate as it is." And I, I, I feel like it's both of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I, I like that we had the outright addressing of also oh, because we're useless uh-huh uh that well yeah. we don't think so otherwise we wouldn't be here but they will mm-hmm. and well to be clear morally i don't like it narratively cassie's full hey well you're gonna die anyway if the yaks mm-hmm. get you wouldn't you rather fight mm-hmm. um it won't matter that if even if they don't want to use us, you'll still be in their way. Um, yeah. And just this intuitive understanding from James. Like, also, this is somebody who's probably used to seeing other people with trauma. What do you think he sees when he looks at these three kids coming here <laughs> asking him to join a war? Do you think he looks at them and he sees, oh, you are, you do need help? Because otherwise, I might be inclined to think he would turn them out on their ass. Be like, no, fuck off. Mm. Take your ball and go. Mm-hmm. But he sees three hurt people. Mm-hmm. And offers them more grace than maybe he would otherwise. Because like Emily, mm-hmm. like the fact that Jake laid hands on him not once but twice and then Marco did as well even if it was to get in his mind because I think it was when Jake was morphing as well and yeah. didn't want mm-hmm. Jake to get uh, James to get hurt but that's not the point it's it's still not okay to do and the fact that Cassie did the, the patronising getting on eye level with him and he still didn't tell them to fuck off mm-hmm. he gave them his time And it's just the fact that uh, James's choice of morph that comes in later, like, it's that, okay, I know writers who use subtext and they're cowards. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because um, he is this, to be fair, one, he's this golden haired guy. He's described, frankly, as being quite handsome with this golden mm-hmm. hair. I'm going to spoil it, but he's going to choose a male lion. Um, same hair. It's very good. There's a, a little moment of it. I think Cassie's like, it fits. Like the way his hair just shifts into the mane and it's the same color. It's very good. Um, but the symbology there, I, I it, we probably won't have time today, but I am definitely going to one pack at some point. Uh, the choices the auxiliaries make for their morphs, for their battle morphs oh. specifically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's good food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's good food. Mm-hmm. Very good food. Um, like I don't want to call it analogous to Christ because I don't like that, but also America is a culturally Christian country. Mm-hmm. And Jay, like James, 
the lion, the helper. Mm-hmm. It's, just like, it's it's all there. I don't have mm-hmm. to like it, but I'm going to acknowledge that that reading is there. Yeah, yeah. and the uh, Chronicles of Narnia parallel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Clive Staples. Clive, really? Yeah, uh, that that no, I know, it took I know. me. I just I love that his fucking name was Staples. <laughs> I know. I also love that he and J.R. Tolkien were friends, and R. Tolkien's like, I hate metaphor and analogy, and Lewis is like, here's my book with lion Jesus. I based him on you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, because that's friendship. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That is that is very, look, gestures to this podcast, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but also that James is he. I don't feel like it verges into to, to I, again lazy shorthand speaking, but Mary Sue esque territory mm-hmm. because he has anger. He doesn't understand everything immediately. He has allowed this anger and this and his barbs. All of the 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 rehab center kids are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose uh, one thing to give this book credit is the way the kids themselves are written it mm-hmm. doesn't have that pitying tone that some of the characters descriptions do um, in the mm-hmm. same way uh, when we met Lauren it felt like the text was doing the work to not demonize or otherize her despite like the visible mm-hmm. scarring as well as the blindness and i feel mm-hmm. like we're getting some of the same things here yeah with uh these kids who uh, like use mobility devices and everything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and in the in the next chapter there's there's some more really good like mm-hmm. disability uh representations like mm-hmm. oh mm-hmm. it it really is like a lot. There's there's some moments where there's some really big missteps, but overall it's a lot better. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just so complex that like I found myself several times throughout it like having to sit for a moment and kinda like untangle for a minute mm-hmm. because it felt like, okay, I don't like how you know, it feels like there's some pity here, but also there's like realness and grit in this because I can, you know, feel how there's this. It, like you said, it feels very much like all of the characters are real and they're not written to be just one dimensional or flat. And there was at least some research to the extent that probably they were able to do research with how these books were, you know, like written on a very short timeline and pumped out by Mm -hmm. Scholastic. Um, So, it's very complicated. Yeah. Like, I'm glad that it felt that for all the missteps, the aspects of the representation felt good. Um, mm-hmm. because so often, like when we talk about representation and whether that's um race, gender, disabilities, uh gender identity, whatever the case may be, 
it's the seeing yourself in a piece of media and knowing like oh yeah this book recognizes that i exist in the world mm-hmm. uh it's why one of the um it's like a, one of the big missteps in in star trek even though they try to address it in a couple of instances it's just sort of like uh so why are there no queer people uh is it just not a thing anymore have they just made it so it's not a thing and there's an episode uh geordie meets these people from this planet the eugenics planet um mm-hmm. and this talk about like disability but you don't when you don't see the characters uh, this is something my friend hamish and i have talked about before when we used to do a podcast it's like when you don't see yourself in a world especially if you're part of when you're a part of a marginalized community or multiple marginalized communities it's like why aren't we there have we just been wiped out mm-hmm. that's a bad feeling uh put fucking minority peoples in your speculative fiction uh there's no good reason for us not to be there mm-hmm. and it's also a lot of times like people get very focused on whether or not it's black and white uh whether it's good or bad representation um mm-hmm. but sometimes it's like I said, it, it, it with this, it's very, sometimes very, uh, it can be very, like, parts of this were good, parts of this were bad, parts of this were okay-ish. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you have to kind of dissect it and look at it very uh, critically yeah. and with the the mindset of when was this made and did they even necessarily like did they do research or did they have like disabled people included in the process of making it so you have to look Mm -hmm. at it from several angles yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, higher sensitivity readers pay them for their time um and uh, this is specifically i i I know a term in, in disabled activism uh know about us without us yeah like you need to make sure the people you are writing about or talking about are part of the conversation. Um, and even when it's a kid's book, like, yeah, it's important. You know, uh, there are disabled children, as this book points out, who would be reading this. And, like, you have to think, mm-hmm. like, would an, a, a wheelchair-using kid read this and feel seen or feel pitied by the portrayal in it? Like Emily said, it's not a clear-cut issue of just tick the box we need a brown kid a kid in a wheelchair what's that the whole um bennett and colors or like the mcdonald's kids gang or one of all the kids mm-hmm. it's just like it, it's not as simple as that it takes time and effort and part of what i feel is the strength of the representation of the book is that we have a mix of people it's not just mm-hmm. relying on just James being here. Um, yeah. Not saying there isn't missteps. We'll find out later. Uh, can't wait to pull that particular beat apart about who gets healed by morphing and who doesn't. And uh, yes. choices made. Um, yeah. Mad about it. Yeah. But uh, let's let's get back in. We've got <laughs> 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so 
the James, Colette, Timmy, and Kelly all acquire the pigeon and morph. And they have very little trouble with it. Um, they don't think it's gross, uh, because compared to, like, a spinal tap, it's nothing. <laughs> um, and, uh, Timmy is, uh, overjoyed at the existence of Thoughtspeak. Um, he, he says, you want to know what hell on earth is? Having a large vocabulary and encyclopedic knowledge of musical theater and a speech impediment. <laughs> Which I think is, like, chef's kiss. I need the fic where uh, Timmy and Axe hang out and just enjoy talking. Yeah. Mm. And uh, Timmy introduces Axe to musical theatre. Because I think Axe would lose his fucking goddamn mind at seeing a musical. <laughs> I want yeah. it. Uh, he does think that all human music is terrible. He'll learn. <laughs> uh so uh after a little while of kind of playing around as pigeons uh jake tries to uh reel them in doesn't necessarily have any success until james is like hey yo chill and everybody immediately chills and forms ranks um they fly to the gardens and they land in a kind of out-of-the-way spot and demorph. Um, and this is the point where Jake talks to Cassie and Marco in private thought speak and is like, all right, watch them. This is kind of the, the moment of truth. Like, is anybody going to be healed? How are they going to deal with demorphing? Etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. 